My name is Rahul Sones, and I'm the founder of the Disruptive Business Network and the host of the On Meaningful Work podcast. The On Meaningful Work podcast features people who have battled to find true meaning in the work that they do. This episode features Upma Verdi, the boss at Chaiwali. Chaiwali is the Hindi word for tea lady, and that is who Upma embodies. She left a promising legal career to answer her calling to share her family's tea blends with the world. And that is what she has done with the founding of her awesome business, Chaiwali. I hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information on podcasts and other events, please visit disruptivebusinessnetwork.com. Thank you. Hey, Opma. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Rahul, for having me. Uh, I'm really thrilled to have you because, firstly, uh, I've heard so much about you. We have a lot of common friends. And uh, I met my sister in Mumbai. Yeah, by coincidence. Complete coincidence. Yes, she's probably our only listener. (laughs) So, hi, Anandi. Thanks for listening. Hi. but uh, I suppose, firstly, you know, we, we are in this crazy uh, COVID world. We are recording this on 6th of October. Uh, how are you? How are you coping? Are you, you doing okay? Um, I'm okay. I'm in Sydney and okay. the rules have laxed a lot more than Melbourne. Um, mm-hmm. I am feeling very bad for doing anything because Melbourne people continuously remind me that they can't do anything. Yes, it's like being, I'm in Melbourne and it's like being stuck in this movie that uh, never seems to end. But yeah, we, we went on a New South Wales like camping trip a few weeks ago and my brother kept sending me screenshots of the five kilometer radius that he can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow. Oh, to go camping again, maybe one day soon. <laughs> um, so maybe th- this is the question I usually... Uh, start with like what is your genesis story of my like were you born in Australia or you no I was born in India I Mm -hmm. was born in uh, Mahali next to Chandigarh and Mm -hmm. um, we moved and migrated to Melbourne when I was about one year old Mm -hmm. and it I don't obviously don't remember much of India when I was one but I grew up in Melbourne but we went to India every year every two years and so I had a really close relationship with my motherland and Mm -hmm. um, in my family we were raised in a pretty traditional um, Indian Indian culture lifestyle and celebrated all the things like Rakri and and Holi, Diwali, Bandichor and all those um, celebrations. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Um, So you came to Australia when when you were one and what was that um, childhood like 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 in Australia you know, you know being in a traditional Indian family and then out in the wilds of Melbourne you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's really interesting when I reflect on it um, I think that for a long time I was at odds with who I was and what I stood mm-hmm. for as a person and it didn't there, I, I can see kind of key points in my life where I did feel different where mm. I was the only person of color in this environment or, um, and th- those few key moments made me feel like, hey, I, I'm a bit different. But mm. it didn't really um, hit me until later in life that I have this cross-cultural hybrid um, upbringing. How do mm. I bring it together? Because for a long time, I think I was fighting with my family just butting heads with who I was and what they had expected of me and what I had expected of me. Mm. And there were a lot of expectations that a lot of migrants go through as to who they are, what they stand for. Going to India, you know, I was considered an NRI, which is a non-resident Indian. And coming back to Australia, Mm. people ask me where you're from. So where are you from? Are you from India? Are you from Australia? Like, how do you bridge that gap of who you are? So Mm. my, my upbringing was... Um, vibrant, it was colorful, it was song and dance, it was mm-hmm. feasting alu parantas chai, it was like mm. all, all of the above. It was amazing and I'm so grateful for um, the values and the skills that I learned through osmosis. Like my mum, I never listened to her when cooking, <laughs> but I around, around roti, 
I don't know how, but like through osmosis, I've learned all that, all those skills. Um, so it was wow. like, yeah, it was a beautiful upbringing and beautiful culture. But obviously, there were many hurdles that um, mm. I faced that a lot of other people face as well as to who they are, what they stand for, how do they um, bring a balance between their upbringing, their culture, and where they are now in life. Mm-hmm. And also, I assume. Uh, schooling in the early part of your life you you were in an australian school with you know people from other cultures you know people from australia um how did how did that tie in with with your upbringing with uh, the way you were brought up i went to a primary school um yeah. and i was actually the only um i think a person from the indian background at that primary school until grade five or grade six. Mm-hmm. And it, I think that, um, yeah, it was interesting <laughs> because I would, I would always want to, mom would always pack me, you know, Indian curries and sabjis for lunch. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I would just be like, oh no, I'm going to get curry. <laughs> Someone's going to laugh at me or, um, yeah. and I, yeah, there, there were, she would put, co- I used to have long, long hair, like mm-hmm. um, coming from a big background, we weren't allowed to cut our hair. But mm-hmm. so she put coconut oil in my hair and put it into a braid and people mm-hmm. would, you know, tell me my, you know, mom's put curry in my hair or something like that. And it was, it was nasty and mm-hmm. it wasn't nice. And I would tell her, you know, don't put coconut oil in my hair ever again. Yeah. Um, don't give me um, amka mm-hmm. char ever again. Like <laughs> <laughs> give me sandwiches and bananas. Yeah. And, I, and I, I kind of wanted, I wanted to just fit in and, um, feel like I was normal in that group of people and it wasn't mm. until I went to high school and there were it was so diverse my high school had like Indian Sri Lankans Lebanese Italians Greeks like it was just mm. and it was so beautiful to see those cultures and I started to say mom you know bring out the rotis um bring out yeah. all that. <laughs> Hit me up with I need all to that show stuff. off now yeah <laughs> I want to show off my culture now and yeah. it was really to see that divide um, from going from primary school and to high school, that multiculturalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I, I don't know what it is with Indian parents and coconut oil on the hair. Because even growing up in Mumbai, I was forced to do that. And then you <laughs> you run and play and it just forms like this thick paste on yeah. your face. It's <laughs> yeah. like Mumbai where there's so much heat. Yeah. And, um, Humidity, mm. but you should try it for your beard instead of macadamia oil. Thank you, and thank you for giving away my beauty secrets. It's, um, anyway. it's cheaper as well, bro. <laughs> All right, duly noted. Um, but say, say from your primary school, where where you did feel that, um, I, I suppose almost isolation because you know you were bringing rotis and other people were bringing sandwiches or whatever. whatever. Is there a memory that, is there a strong memory that really comes up from that time? That Yeah, I, I um, my, like a lot of migrant back mm. parents, um, my parents really pushed me academically and mm. really pushed me. And so for me, um, in being in primary school, doing extra curriculum work and whatnot, when other kids were playing around and doing Mm -hmm. exams to get into a certain high school or whatnot when other kids were having sleepovers and things I couldn't do. So Mm -hmm. there was a lot of things that I was like, Hey, they can do that, but why can't I? And those were the, the, those are memories that I can distinctively remember and kind of putting my hand up and knowing the answer, but feeling like I shouldn't, um, Mm -hmm. that kind of imposter syndrome where it's like, Oh, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be, I don't want to be pointed at and called, um, a teacher's pet or something like that mm. Um, mm. and I and I felt like I was drawing back a bit and not wanting to share that that kind of side of me because I didn't want to be picked on mm. um, yeah and it, it, it was difficult to share that side of me but going into high school was as I said a different experience yeah yeah and so what uh, what, what changed in high school was it more the other cultures or I think that there was more people that hey, like, hey, you look like me. You, your parents mm. are like mine. They're crazy yeah. as mine. Yeah. Um, like, mm. um, you study and you do these crazy things as well. You're not allowed to go for you know hot chocolate after school either, or you have to study mm. to like whatnot. And um, hey, we can do this. I can 
I can excel in this and it's okay to show off or like not I don't mean like show off but it's okay to try hard and showcase that as well yeah yeah and were you were you a good student in in high school did anything did any extra extracurricular things come up there yeah I, I I'm all I've always been the kind of person who tries everything like I mm -hmm. have FOMO if I don't try something mm -hmm. so I was after watching Bendit like Beckham when I was about 13 I became um, a soccer player <laughs> so Ooh. I it was awesome and so I got into soccer I still play soccer to this day and mm. um, I so I started playing soccer and I had a really tall friend and she had blonde short blonde hair and she was mm. Italian and she just like the movie. Like, yeah. Just like the movie. <laughs> and once we were hugging, like mm. we were saying bye at the bus stop and hugging, and my mom thought it was a guy. So it was exactly like the movie. And wow. we played soccer together as well. Yeah. So it was hilarious. But I, yeah, I did debating. I did soccer. Mm. I did try to get involved into Oxfam. And um, yeah, I, I, for me, mm. it was extracurricular type activities was really important to fuel my soul and that's always been a big part of me to mm -hmm. um, explore my creativity mm. um so then you know i assume you you did well in high school and then uh, when it came to choosing a you know what to do at uni what uh, what guided that decision <laughs> uh, my dad <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. the two mm. options and i think you can guess what they probably are Law and medicine. Uh, yeah, I was going to yes. say filmmaking and songwriting, but no. Oh, I, so I remember just, I was choosing my year 10, like my VCE um, subjects, mm. and I really wanted to do philosophy. Like, I really wanted to do philosophy. And so I go to my mm. dad, I'm super scared. And we're going to the dinner table, mm. and I was like, Daddy, I really want to do philosophy. <laughs> I'll, I'll do like three math subjects and like mm. physics and everything if you let, if I can just do philosophy as well. And mm. he's like, no child of mine is doing philosophy. <laughs> oh, no. If, if they want bread on their table. <laughs> it was a classic Bollywood movie. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, he couldn't do philosophy. What, what, so what, I, I did, sorry? So I was just going to ask, uh, why, why, what, what uh, grabbed you about philosophy? What? I, I guess I've always been interested in the mm. thinking of historians. And I feel like yeah. a lot of what we think about now um, has already been thought about. And so mm. let's create ideas and discussions around what um, our ancestors have talked about because they're still relevant and prevalent today as well. Mm. Um, yeah. I feel like a lot of the issues, we, we can seek answers from the past. And I've always had a saying that without our roots, we cannot grow. And that's been really important to me to go to my roots and my past and my ancestors to fuel myself right mm. now. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's 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 awesome, but that got knocked back. <laughs> yes, definitely. So yeah. I did the classic. Um, we call the Asian Five. Um, yep. for VC, and mm. um, I. What's the Asian Five? So sounds um, like two maths subjects: um, physics, yeah. chemistry, um, something else. I can't remember. English. Mm. You have to English mandatory. <laughs> That, that's it yeah mm. um but that that was it was difficult doing that in high school especially in a very competitive high school like mine um mm. but i got through it and mm. i wasn't allowed to go to any, any house parties but mm -hmm. that was okay i got through it and then so okay so then the choices were law or medicine yeah after that it was law or medicine and i got into com law at deacon uh, majored mm -hmm. in finance tried to major in arts but that didn't go down well either so yeah. <laughs> much like philosophy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, i tried to do law and social work but that didn't also that didn't go down either so mm -hmm. <laughs> that's the path that took me but yeah, I did that at Deakin and Deakin was really good. I really enjoyed my time there. It allowed me mm -hmm. to travel a lot as well um, in terms of my study and where I went and did exchange. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, can you speak about that experience, I suppose, doing law? Um, like, even though it wasn't, I suppose, it was a, it, it was, let, let's just say, a coercive choice. Um, how was studying law and how was the experience of university for you? Um, it wasn't like suits at all. <laughs> <laughs> law and order. 
Perry Mason, none well, of those. It, like when, yeah, yeah it, that's, I'm like, yeah, I can do that. I can wear suits and I can um, go say your honor objection. Yeah. And, no, it's not as um, mm. sexy as the TV shows make it out to be. But mm-hmm. studying law was interesting. I enjoyed mm-hmm. it. it. It was something that you need to look at um, into the books, but also with a broader perspective as well. I enjoyed looking at from a logical point of view <clears throat> and bringing some creativity to it. But the thing with law is creative expression in law is really interesting because you all, it, everything has to be backed by evidence. So mm. doing essays and stuff, I'd always bring, bring like my own theories to it, but you mm. actually can't. You have to answer it with evidence-based theory mm-hmm. everything yeah. has to have a source so you mm-hmm. can't just plug in something in there and be like this is what i think no mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> it has to be backed by yeah. some sort of evidential source um that would, be a, that, that would be a philosophy major so you just go this is what i think and deal with it yeah. <laughs> exactly so that was um something mm-hmm. that i um would have to keep changing in my way of writing um with law because I love bringing my own theories and things to it but it, everything has to be back so I kind of work backwards I would write a theory down then find mm. evidence to prove my theory <laughs> isn't that uh, confirmation bias or something like that anyway yeah, yeah something like that but you were meant to go the other way around mm. <laughs> yeah and so that that, that I, I suppose flipped in the in the way your natural thinking processes happen was that, um, uh, I, I suppose, did, did that benefit you, do you think? Or, or was it more of a hindrance? I, no, I think it definitely benefited me because it allowed me to still be who I kind of naturally was. And mm. But I just found a way. And I think there's a saying, jugad, which um, the Indian term for mm. trying to find fix for things. And I've always been someone who's um, hustled in terms of finding I don't even know how to translate the word jugad to English. Do you yeah. know how, Ralph? <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> I've been, uh, yeah, too removed. Is, is, that's a, is it a Hindi word or a Punjabi word? I think it's a Punjabi word, but it means like finding a, sol- a solution in any way possible to fix that thing. Like okay. problem solving to a next level. Yeah. And so that, that's something that, that, uh, that really grabbed you or yeah it's something yeah. that i think for me problems i love problem solving i love getting myself into mm. situations where i have to get myself out of yeah yeah and then also through uni i read somewhere that uh, you got the opportunity to go on exchange yes i am um, yeah. i wasn't allowed to travel like a lot of other people could willingly travel you yeah. know go to Bahamas or like travel with a backpack and Mm. um, go exploring. I couldn't do those things. And my mom always, my dad or mom always told me, you know, you can do whatever you want after you get married. Um, Mm. That's the saying that my mom got told from her mom and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's passed down generations. And for me, I was like, I don't want to wait for no man. Like, (laughs) I don't wait for no man to come and take me traveling. This is is not cool. Like, I'm Mm. an independent woman. No. (laughs) And so (laughs) I I applied for exchange um, to India. Mm. And uh, I had never actually been to India myself. I have always been there with family, going to family. And I've never, I had never explored it on my own terms. Um, and I didn't want to wait until who knows how old I was till I get married to explore. And who knows who I was going to get married to, who'd even let me go exploring. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I, yeah, going to India was amazing. I went to um, Xavier College in Mumbai. Then I went to Delhi and went that's to- That's my um, college. I did, it was awesome. It was yeah, just that's... like a movie. Um, what was that movie that came out with a guy and the guitar? playing in the cafeteria um, with the song Aditi, Kabi Kabi Aditi, da-da-da-da-da. I'll have to look it up. But, but anyway, okay. so the, that's, that's the college I went to in, for year 11. And, uh, oh, it was awesome. I loved yeah. it. I thought it was, really, it was a really beautiful college. Um, really picturesque, mm. really, um, really nice. And we, I learned a lot about the Indian law and I traveled a lot and got to explore Mumbai and other places, mm. which is magical. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then I also applied to do exchange in Austria, um, which was life changing. Oh, okay. Why? In what ways was that life changing? Um, I met my husband there. Ah, so, okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. So and other things happened. So, so yeah, it was again it worked in reverse you went traveling and met your husband instead of meeting a husband and then going traveling yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, yeah amazing so, um okay and um so just also so doing doing a bit of reading about you um the influence and the impact of your grandfather really comes up a lot uh, I was wondering if you could uh, speak about him. Yeah, that Grandpa. Um, we never called him Dadaji. Grandpa always wanted us to call him Grandpa, even though we mm-hmm. spoke to him in Punjabi. He, his name was um, Dr. Pritam Singh Virdi, and mm-hmm. he was super cool. He was this mm-hmm. atheist, communist, uh, turban-wearing guy who mm-hmm. just was a poet. He was could speak five different languages from Farsi to English to Urdu to Punjabi to Hindi. Like he was wow. a self-taught language learner. He was just, he just exemplified what education meant in terms of for someone who didn't grow up with it and wanted it so bad. Um, mm-hmm. He was, he, I think because of growing up with the British rule and seeing that impact for him, education was so important to get and independence mm-hmm from that like having money was so important his my grandma went to give birth and they didn't have any money and so Mm -hmm. she couldn't give birth in a specific hospital so she my grandpa made it a note to really work for the communist party in india so Mm -hmm. he went underground and went to pakistan heaps to lahore um Mm -hmm. he was a part of this no one knew where he was for a lot a lot of the time because he couldn't tell anyone where his whereabouts were Mm -hmm. But yeah, he, he was he was amazing. He worked in underground schools to help women how to learn and read to learn mm. learn to read. Sorry, mm. and because a lot of women in his um, area couldn't read or go to school. Mm-hmm. And, and also, um, I, I suppose your your love of chai really came from him. Is that? Yeah, he became an Ayurvedic and homeopathic doctor and he would create a lot of his own medicines and a lot of Mm -hmm. that was to do with herbal spices and Indian teas and Indian spices. So he would create his own blends and mixtures that Mm -hmm. he would sell in his dispensary that he set up in Punjab. And we'd always learn from him how to make them, how to blend them, what specific Mm -hmm. spices were made for. Yep. And, uh, and, you you met him during your trips back to India, or was he in? Um, yeah, he came to yeah. Melbourne and stayed with us for a while as well. He had a big yeah. client base in Melbourne as well. Like a lot of awesome. um, people would come to him um, as clients, and yeah, and it's one of those things that with grandparents because I didn't see him that much, and being young, and you don't. It was only until later in my twenties that I became to really want to spend time with him, value mm. them, and. Um, nurture them that relationship and being when you're younger it's just it's a given that they're going to be there but it's only until you get older you're like hey wait mm-hmm. they're not always going to be there yeah and I suppose like spending time with him uh, what did that what did that do for you was it more of a cultural connection or was it more personal or no it's definitely more personal it um yeah. My grandpa was, he kind of spoke in Sufi. It was really interesting mm. to be around him. He would mm. just, he would say quotes and they'd really resonate with you in different ways. And no one in my family kind of um, is like him. He's really unique and really different. And he passed mm. away a few years ago, but being around him was just like having a breath of fresh air. It it was really unique. And he brought a lot of ancient philosophy to him whenever you'd be around him and he'd always be a thought provoker for him mm-hmm. changing the dialogue of things or questioning people's beliefs was really mm-hmm. important so that yeah yeah mm-hmm. okay so changing tracks a little bit coming back to uni and finishing uni so once you you, you got a job as a lawyer yes can, can you speak about that your first <laughs> job <laughs> Yeah, let's do that. Um, so yeah. I, <laughs> um, I um, throughout uni, I actually worked in a law firm for like mm. most of my uni, like for about four or five years. Mm-hmm. And 
yeah, so I had a kind of experience and insight into what it was going to be like working as a private practice lawyer. Mm-hmm. And when I graduated, I tried to get a job at that place as a graduate lawyer. And mm-hmm. it proved to be really difficult, even though mm-hmm. I had awards and good grades and I knew the system and I knew that I knew it well. Again, um, it was really difficult getting making it there I again that was another time in my life that I felt different Mm -hmm. um I felt like I was the only person with a name that no one could pronounce and it Mm. I I just it then again signified to me hey like the corporate environment isn't diverse the corporate environment doesn't have a lot of people that look like me um Mm. I feel different and I'm not given the opportunities (laughs) that my counterpath person um who has a very much easier pronounced name than i do is getting Mm -hmm. and i realize that um that's just how it's going to be and i have to work a lot harder to break through Mm -hmm. and so i went through a year of after i graduated exploring what kind of workplaces i want to work in but Mm -hmm. in that particular workplace that i mentioned i set up meetings with like five different partners like i was like why am i not getting a job here and as Mm -hmm. i told you like for me i um I go and if I see something like I go and try um to get it and so Mm. I set up all these meetings with all these experienced partners in the firm and I was like you know why am I not getting this opportunity what's happened and Mm. they didn't really have an answer for me and at that point I realized this is not the place for me something's up Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just getting out and so I spent a year trying to figure out where I want to work. I went to like a not-for-profit. I, wor- I worked in war law. I did mm. um, community legal center work. I did um, just all sorts of in-house practice until I found the job that was for me. And I mm. find a lot of students, they just put their hand up for the first opportunity that comes their way because it's so competitive. And I get that. Yep. It's so mm. competitive. However, your values also need to come first and Mm -hmm. you can't, you can't just give in at the first opportunity. If you really want something that Mm -hmm. is your soul and that is for your soul, you need to work hard to get it. And that's what I did. And then Mm -hmm. came an opportunity for Clearpoint Council, Mm -hmm. which is a disruptive cloud-based B Corp law firm. And Mm -hmm. I found them online and Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, tech driven, diverse, women like this is for me i need to get a job here and Mm -hmm. so i reached out to the ceo and i said hey um i love what you're doing i want to be a part of it let's chat i want to catch up for a coffee and i did i do drink coffee as well by the way (laughs) (laughs) good to know (laughs) and so i i just yeah i caught up with him and I, and he, as he talked to me, explained to me about it, it was amazing. It was exactly, it was like music to my ears. Like this makes sense. This clicks. Mm. We need to change up the, the, the legal industry. This is how we're mm. going to do it. And he said to me to stay in touch. And so I stayed in touch. And every month I would message mm. him or call him and be like, hey, you told me to stay in touch. Is there an opportunity for me yet? Until mm. um, six months later, he's like, okay, you can start on Monday. <laughs> wow. Well, just on that, so... I think another thing that uh, that comes out about you is if someone tells you this is tough or this can't be done, you really try and disprove them in a way. Like say with your previous law firm, you know you didn't you didn't take no for an answer. You set up meetings with the with the partners, like with Clearpoint Council. Also, you kind of just went. Where, where does that? What do you attribute that to? You know? I. I think that my parents have always been really hardworking and seeing them all continuously work hard and has probably inspired me to go for what I believe in as well. So I, I need, and I could also be doing law. Like I need a evidence for this. Like yeah. tell me why. <laughs> why? There you and, go. Yeah. So that wasn't, my parents were not very happy with me questioning it, every decision that they would make, by the way, they would always be like, mm you're not meant to ask why it's just how it is <laughs> but why and I've always just for me it's always been why like why can't I why can't I do that why can they do it why can't I do it why like what's stopping us what's stopping me what's stopping you tell me why so um when I realized that there wasn't no one there was there was no opportunity for me there I was like no okay that's fine I don't want to disrespect myself any further 
mm-hmm. let's go to the next opportunity and see this place isn't for me. It hasn't, ser- it's not serving me right now. Let's go to the next opportunity. Yep. And also, I, I suppose, say, thinking back on, on my career, like when I've done, when I've sort of, you know, really broken through my comfort zone and tried to do that, there is that chasm that you need to jump across and that, you know, this is like, you feel fear, you feel, you know, imposter syndrome and all of those things. Like, how did you navigate those? Did you? Oh, I had complete imposter. I was a graduate. Like, (laughs) (laughs) this is like the COO and like people like that Mm. I was talking to. Scary. So I, I don't know. I just, um, I believed that I should be given the opportunity and mm-hmm. I need to know why I wasn't. And so maybe there was a bit of um, anger in there as well. Um, mm-hmm. You're like, why, why not? Mm. And just say, going back to the previous law firm, what were the reasons that they gave you that why you weren't? <clears throat> um, there was, wasn't many, re- there wasn't any reasons, mm. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, okay, so then with Clearpoint Council, you, you found, like a firm that really um, aligned with who you are and your values and so on. Um, what was working there like? It was it was awesome. It was cloud based, tech driven. Um, we were mm. making waves. I'm getting Joel was getting a lot of awards. He's the CEO. Um, mm. It was great working working there. It fueled me because I had just before that started Chaiwali as a side mm. hustle. Like it was a complete yeah. embryonic idea. Um, and I just started it. And for him, um, it was something that I didn't need to hide. It mm-hmm. was something that I could actually embrace while I was there and say, That's this awesome. is who I am. I'm a lawyer, but I'm also starting a side hustle business. Like, mm. I don't need to hide this side of me. I'm both of these things and that's okay. And it was yeah. an environment where I could be both those things. And mm. it was embraced because I brought a different point of view to my clients as well. Like, mm. I brought practical experience to them, um, which they yeah. could relate and gave me credibility as well as a lawyer, mm. as a business law advice as well. And so, okay, so speaking of Chai Wally now, like like the embryonic idea that you mentioned, how did that idea come about? When I was in Austria, um, I re- that was the first time I was properly away from home, like away from mm. my mom, my dad, my brother. Like it was properly, I was away from all the things that defined what I stood for and who I was Mm -hmm. as a person and so it gave me space to actually realize this these are the things I stand for this is what I believe in separate Mm -hmm. to my roots and my family and um my community in my my Mm -hmm. safety my safety net in Melbourne and I really it was just a really (laughs) eye-opening experience for me because I missed chai so much. Mm. <laughs> like, mm. I, I missed, um, I, for me, like feasting and community and coming together on the dining table is me, like mm-hmm. sharing stories, moments. And um, I'd go traveling and I always went with spices in my backpack all across different parts of Europe. And I'd stay in hostels and um, motels and backpacker places. And I'd make chai. It was the first thing I would do. Mm. make chai bring my um strainer bring my spices start making chai and that was Mm. how I kind of made friends people would come like what's that smell what does what and I was like oh fennel seeds and you know it's Mm. known to prevent the formation of gas and cinnamon is really detoxifying and I just knew these things innately and I think that a lot of people from the Indian background also can relate they Mm. we're just grown up with innate abilities to Mm. like to know what these natural, beautiful herbs are for. And mm-hmm. I owe that a lot to my mom, my dad, and my grandpa for instilling those values in me. But mm-hmm. so I, when I, it, it was eye opening to know that my, my culture plays a big part into who I am. Um, mm-hmm. And this is me. And so when I came back from Austria and with all these awakenings and liberation, liberated feelings and met my, um, current husband as well now so <laughs> um it was so that, that trip really was life-changing yeah you yeah the, i cut my hair part, a few years after that trip yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on the street of chai Wally, and you met your husband so yeah i know it was um it was very interesting um i was i was told not to meet anyone uh, but yeah. i did daniel and 
it was it was I got to see a lot of I think I went to 31 cities and 17 countries I wrote down but yeah. I think for me it was like I need to travel as much as possible <laughs> in this, <yeah. laughs> this past mm. I need to travel as much as possible also I suppose um, in Indian culture uh, chai is um, it's so much more than just like a beverage it's so much more than just a drink I think there's a real significance to it like how would you how would you describe what chai really means in, in our culture oh it's it's a language like it's it's its own language it's mm. it's atheist because it doesn't believe in religion because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it, it transcends religion it, it's yeah. very universal it's mm. <laughs> <laughs> and it's something that is for me people who make chai in India, like chai wallas mm. on the street or chai wallies on the street, who are female or male tea vendors. Um, mm. They they are mic- they create microcosms where they are, like a world mm. within a world. It's where mm. you go with your friends or with your work colleagues to have a moment to yourself. And everyone has their chai wala or chai wali they go to regularly, like mm. in... Um, Mahali, my family has Mamu, which we all go to for our chai um, in, in a little corner area. So for me, it's, I think, and a lot of other people, chai isn't just like a beverage. It's mm. a moment of stillness. It's a moment of reflection. It's a moment of connecting with yourself, connecting with others. It's mindful and mm. meditation. Like I've, I've, always done a lot of it. I've always done some meditation, but Meditation doesn't have to be just sitting there with your arms out going on. It can also mm. be sitting there watching the steam of your chai. And for me, that's mm. meditation as well. Wow. Um, yeah, so that's... That was so poetic. I'm trying to find a nice segue to my boring questions, but I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> I was like, you want me to describe chai? I can keep carrying on. I can go on all day if you want me to talk about chai. <laughs> that could be, I think that could be a separate podcast episode. We should just do um, slam poetry on chai. Yeah. <laughs> or interpretive dance or choose your... Yeah. Yeah. Um, but okay, so you started making chai in Austria and then you come back to Melbourne. Yeah, and I came then, to Melbourne and it didn't hit me like that something was brewing. So you see what you did there? <laughs> <laughs> so the, the idea didn't steep for some time. So. You, you've, been, you've been waiting to use these, haven't you? <laughs> you've been rehearsing them in front of the mirror. <laughs> I speak chai. I can't even yeah, no. like when anyone says like lie mm. or fry or like um, hi, mm. I just think chai. <laughs> like, yeah. I just, like when people like see you Friday, I'm like see you chai day. <laughs> well, it's you so are good. the boss chai wali, so yeah, yeah. I just speak. Yeah. My mind is just like changed. I can't even explain mm. it. Something happens to you when you become a chai wali. Like you mm. go through this like in a the, the chai god sprinkles some sp- magical spices on your brain to make you think yeah. in chai. Mm. But no, sorry, back to your question. Um, yeah, so I remember um, my, someone, um, it was my partner now, um, mm-hmm. when we were just dating, his mum had asked him, does your girlfriend um, make chai? Like I heard you said, mm-hmm. you told me she made chai. Could you give me, like, could she make some for me? Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, this is the first time I'm going to make like a little bit of chai mix for someone who's never had chai properly before. And mm. so I went to the cabinet and I found my granddad's um, mix and I was like, Ooh, mm. how do I recreate my grandpa's mix in my own way? And he mm. put about 20 different spices in it. So I created it, um, different spices and I packaged it really nicely. And I wrote like chai wali on it. Like, I don't even know where that came from, but I wrote chai wali on it. And I sent, I mailed it to her. And that was the mm. first ever bag of chai I ever made and gave to someone. Um, mm. And then I was like, hey, why don't I go to markets and like sell this and see what wow. happens? Like, yeah. um, so I started doing farmer's markets in a place called Mulgrave Farmer's Market in Melbourne. And this was just when I was finishing off my uni degree. Mm-hmm. And 
my for my parents it was like a la la they were just like yeah yeah she's just going to make chai like it's it was a bit of a joke for everyone for a while i was the joke of the family the the law student making chai um, <laughs> <laughs> my mom and dad would come to these stalls and they would just sit in the back having milk rusks dipping it in all my chai so i couldn't mm. sell a lot of it cause my dad would consume most of it but <laughs> <laughs> but we would, I would sell out. And then I was like, oh my gosh, like I sold out. What do I do with this money? And I yep. bought more spices. And I was like, oh, I sold that again. What do I do with this? I bought more spices. And I mm -hmm. kept doing that until I was like, hey, I need to get a warehouse. Hey, I need to hire someone. Wow. Uh, like, and this I is just, just from the markets, from the farmer's markets. Yeah. I started also getting into wholesale and mm -hmm. talking to like stores and cafes about purchasing it at wholesale. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what I was doing, like zero, like clue. And, and I this went, was, so you were working full time as a lawyer and you're doing this on the side? Yeah, I just, I just graduated. I was, um, it was, everything was together. Like I mm. graduating, finding work, working. It was all while, um, as my legal career was growing, my little, mm. um, Chai, chai hustle side passion was also growing so they were mm -hmm. both of my babies were growing at the same time yep wow um how did you find the time for for chai i didn't have a life for a while and i'm really yep. grateful that daniel lived in sydney and my parents never mm -hmm. let me see so <laughs> <laughs> is, he, is he white daniel he is <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> He is half Indonesian, half Canadian. So yeah, he's okay. That's a good mix. Yeah. He's yeah. He but on our wedding, he looked proper Indian. He wore a um, a turban, grew his beard, and you would think that he is meant for mm. that. <laughs> <laughs> looked great. Um, yeah. But he mm. makes a really killer chai. Like, yeah. Also through os osmosis. Yeah, well, we met over chai. Like yeah. I, that was the way um, our relationship kind of grew. Was he'd come over, I'd make him chai. Mm. We'd talk about spices and things and, and life and philosophical discussions, and yeah. then he kind of fell in love over chai. Amazing, amazing. So. Anyway, so so back to chai wali, and you were kind of yeah. It's it's kind of astounding that you had a you know full time legal career, and then this was kind of happening on the side um yeah it was it was yeah. um not easy and my family i think they didn't make it easy either like mm -hmm. it wasn't something that they approved of it wasn't mm -hmm. something that i could talk about freely and uh, so i kind of felt like i had two like secret lives like my mm -hmm. couldn't really talk about my partner they didn't want anything to know about him couldn't really talk mm -hmm. about my chaiwali business couldn't really talk about that so <clears throat> a lot of things i had to just figure out on my own and mm -hmm. Chaiwali was one of those things that I completely had to figure out on my own. Um, mm -hmm. And I didn't really have any friends who were doing the same thing. A lot of my friends were just, you know, legal career, legal career, which is what I was doing as well. But I also had mm -hmm. a side hustle. Um, so I just didn't really see many people for a long time. And I did sacrifice mm -hmm. quite a bit. I didn't, you know, stay up all night watching TV shows. And mm -hmm. I had to be really disciplined if I wanted this to work. And I believed in it. And for me, it wasn't like... I have this brilliant business idea. Let's create mm -hmm. a business out of it. It was, I believe that I am an Indian Australian woman and I mm -hmm. want to be creative with how I show that. And there's no good chai on the shelves mm -hmm. and I want to honor my grandfather. How do mm -hmm. I showcase this in a creative way? What can I mm -hmm. create to create a path for me and other men and women um, to do this and express themselves creatively in a world where we're growing up and being told that we have to be professionals from mm -hmm. our parents. Was that, I suppose, what kept you working the weekends and the nights instead of binge watching Netflix and, you know, or going out with your friends? Was that, even though at the time you probably didn't know this, this was going to be uh, yeah, anything. Know. Yeah. Yeah. I never, ever thought I'd be leaving my job as a lawyer. Like never, mm -hmm. it never crossed my mind that I would leave being a lawyer um mm. i loved creating chaiwali and um i loved finding solutions and going through the business registration processes and creating things and mm. for me i've always been someone who has a lot of different skills but how do i 
how do I exemplify them? And Chaiwali allowed me to use my marketing side, use my legal side, use my use different parts of my brain um, mm-hmm. and express myself. So that really kept me going. And because I, I remember going to an event and it was called, it was by this organization called Shakti and mm-hmm they're like a not-for-profit in Melbourne and they invited me to go give a talk really early on when I was just starting Chaiwali mm-hmm. and I was still like early days in my legal career and uh, someone asked me in the audience who, who is someone from the Indian culture that you look up to like who is someone that you can say in the media or whatever mm-hmm. and I was like you know what I actually can't think of anyone like yeah, I can say like Ashwarya Rai or something like that, but they're, mm-hmm. um, they're not relatable, attainable people, but mm-hmm. they're the only people that I can visually see. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, I don't, they don't inspire me because they're not, re- they're not relatable. Mm-hmm. Um, so other than my mum, like there's no one else that I can get, draw inspiration from. And I said like, I have to be my own inspiration. Mm-hmm. I have to carve a path for myself and mm-hmm. for others because i'm not seeing representation of people like me mm-hmm. out there that's that's amazing uh, like i suppose like for some people that could be quite a daunting thing or it could be quite discouraging but it seemed to have the opposite effect on you yes um and also during this time was uh, was your grandfather still alive while you while you were making he, he was, yes. but his health was really deteriorating and mm-hmm. he, he did try the chai and he knew about it. And I went there and I visited him and I spent mm-hmm. some time with him. So he was aware and he loved the chai. He, I got yeah. thumbs up from him. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I suppose also looking at Chai Wali, you're not just selling chai, like there's a, like you mentioned, it, you, you, it, the brand is really you and your values and your experiences and your strengths and weaknesses and all of that. But also a big part of Taiwan is, is, is around education. Yeah, definitely. I suppose, what are you, just thinking about education, what are you trying to teach people about Chai through Taiwan, especially non-Indians? Yeah, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> First and foremost, yeah, we talk about and always discuss the authentic version of masala chai and mm-hmm. what that is, the terminology around it, the language around it. And I, when I started Chai Wali, I also started doing chai workshops to educate people on chai brewing and, mm-hmm. you know, what chai tea means, means tea tea. So you just need to say chai, <laughs> masala means, or, mm-hmm. um, and kind of putting it into perspective, like garam masala means hot spices. So masala mm-hmm. chai means spices and tea, like just mm-hmm. g- giving people an awareness of like, we do coffee really well. Like every mm-hmm. single person in Melbourne is a barista, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've even done my barista training because that's what we yep. do in Melbourne, right? We're like complete coffee snobs. And Absolutely. we do everything yeah. so yeah. well. Like, um, for me, even though I live in Sydney, Melbourne still does everything so authentically and mm-hmm. so diversely. Whereas chai is still something that we don't do well. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't do it how it's traditionally meant to be done. And that's okay. But I'm here to also tell people this is the authentic, genuine way of how Indians in India drink it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone has their own recipe. But the main education for me is also to showcase people the Indian culture through chai. So not just tea and chai, but other things. So we discuss events and cultural things that happen in the Indian culture and what Mm -hmm. it means to be a first generation Indian Australian migrant. Like how do we merge those things and bring them together and showcase that on a platform such as Chai Wali. Awesome. And also I suppose as Chai Wali started to grow, I mean, it's one thing to be passionate about something, but then creating a business from that is almost a separate set of skills. Yeah. So once you got to the point, okay, this is bigger than I expected. How did you go about setting up, setting up a business? Um, I did something like every single day. So I would do something mm. every single day, something small to work on it. And mm. I would have like weekly or monthly projects for myself and 
I just dig away at it like slowly, like like a prisoner trying to get out of um, prison, and, like with mm. a spoon. Like <laughs> yeah, like Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like you know, you never know where you're gonna yeah. be in a year's time. Like, yep. are you mm. gonna end up in Hawaii? Are you gonna end up in the prison still? You mm. never know. <laughs> For me, it was yep. like I just little by little, I would just um, dig away at it with like no intention again of making this thing where I had to leave my job as a lawyer until a few years later, I was Mm -hmm. about to um, get married, move to Sydney. um, And I was at odds. I'm like, what do I do? Like Chaiwali is taken off. Like, what Mm -hmm. do I, do I continue my job as a lawyer and keep this as a side hustle? um, Or do I just go all in? Like, what do I do? Mm -hmm. Yep. And so then when you decided that to go all in, how, what was that decision like? It was, it was liberating. Um, it mm. was scary. It was risky. And mm-hmm. coming, even though like I've seemed to be quite a fearless person, um, I think it's just ingrained in me like to be risk averse as well. Like my mm. parents having very, like, you know, we all have stable careers and mm-hmm. um, there's always a backup plan. Uh, we always, yeah. it's, that's just how I've kind of brought up and starting mm. something from complete scratch isn't really something that was encouraged or in my family. And um, if you look at all migrants in Australia, a lot of them run franchises, franchises mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. because it's proven, it's stable, it works. We mm-hmm. don't complete, we don't plant seeds and just do it. Like it's, mm-hmm. but we're seeing more and more of that these days, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was scary. Like, I was really excited, but I wasn't, I wasn't expecting what was going to come. Like mm-hmm. the emotional um, challenges that come with leaving and starting and going all in is mm-hmm. next level. Yeah. Uh, so, so, and also I suppose the other thing you had to navigate was your parents and um, I suppose convincing them that, um, and, like not to give too much away, but it, it does have a happy ending because I saw you and your parents on the project, <laughs> and, uh, which I will link to. But they seem very proud and happy with where you are now. Oh yeah, they. Um, it only took me having a full page feature in the Age for them. Like I remember the day. Like <laughs> I remember the day I had. It was like my dad always used to get the paper delivered, and he was he opened up the paper. I didn't know what page this feature was going to be. And I thought it was just going to be like a little small thing at the back, but it was like a full photo of me, this big mm. pouring chai on the third page of the age. And then my dad turns to me, he's like, okay, better. You don't have a business. <laughs> 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 it was so good. I was like, I have my dad's blessings. I'm done. Yeah. Drop the mic. Like, it's, it's, I think that they finally realized that I wasn't going to give up and mm. how much happiness it brought me to do yeah. this and that I was good at it and mm. that they should just support me. So yeah, <laughs> yeah I think it was also a learning, it was a learning journey for them and I don't blame them. Like I'm, I'm grateful that they mm. took the stance they did because it, it forced me to also stay in my legal career for as long mm. as I did as well. Yeah, and I suppose uh, just from you know other people I've interviewed from the pod for the podcast, um, this theme sort of comes up in that. I mean, not everyone has the cultural baggage that that uh, that you have with you know choosing career, etc. But they do choose careers usually not through coercion, but for things like money or prestige or things like that, and then have to like find their way. Um, what what advice would would you give people just based on on your journey as to how to how to go about it i think that it's important to begin mm-hmm. um, and i remember being at a talk at melbourne mm-hmm. uni it was to the mba students and everyone was like they asked me a similar question mm-hmm. and these students had been in you know strategy phase for like 2 years mm-hmm. 
I said, I have no strategy phase. Like I strategize while I sell. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's how I strategize. And yeah. that's allowed me. Yeah. Like, look, it may have created um, hurdles in terms of figuring things out later on, things that you would have figured out earlier, but yeah. it also allowed me to go to market really early on. And it allowed me to adapt and change and not have something set in stone from day dot and allowed it to be fluid and figure mm-hmm. it out because putting all your cards in at on day one is really scary. But if you mm-hmm. kind of tug away at it, like I said, when you're digging at it for some time, you just don't know where you're going to be in a year's time, which is amazing to see your growth. And I think mm-hmm. it's important to do something small every mm-hmm. day at it, something little, even if it's like a website tweak, register it on the business, Australian business registrar, doing something small on it every day. And you just mm-hmm. don't know where you're going to be in a year's time. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and I suppose just as we, we close the conversation, is there a, in your journey, while, while you're navigating your journey, is there a failure that really, that taught you the most that you really learned from? Or... Um, I guess in terms of failures, I don't, I've never ever looked at things as failures. And I think mm-hmm. there have always been learning journeys uh, and I've never, because I started it with nothing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't for me like, yes. like go back. <laughs> it's not really a failure. Like it's just exactly. like, Hey, that, yeah. was, that was really mm-hmm. awesome. Like what an mm-hmm. amazing experience. But I think that um, something that you need to remember when you start a business is like, the, the self-awareness that you're going to need and the perseverance that you're going to need to continue it like mm-hmm. and go for the long stretch like I'm not here for the win tomorrow like I'm here for the long term and that's mm-hmm. scary like mm-hmm. the long term journey it's takes a lot of perseverance and continuous self-growth and continuous of like why what's my mm-hmm. purpose that can get mm-hmm. lost really easily and you can get so um, immersed in the day-to-day things but you really need to take yourself out and be like why am i why am i doing this what what am i trying to achieve long term because mm-hmm. um i kind of look at myself in terms of like not just an entrepreneur but an artist and what i do mm-hmm. is create art and it keeps mm-hmm. it fun um yeah. but when you're doing this there's no a to b like as in a corporate world you know i would have been a graduate i would have gone to an associate, a senior associate, a partner. There's not mm. that in the business. And yeah. you need to figure out how you're going to create that perseverance for yourself to get through that. And, and also, so with, this is usually the final question, but what does the term meaningful work mean for you? Hmm, meaningful work. So much. It's so little, like, <laughs> do I give an insightful chai answer? <laughs> Please. That's what we're here I for. That, I think that meaningful work for me, it means that am I doing things authentically, genuinely? Am I expressing myself purposely? And am I thinking about my impact? Like, not. it's not just me, but mm-hmm. how am I impacting the people around me mm. and it's not just yeah it's important to grow and have the financial success as well but mm. am i mentally happy is my team mentally happy mm-hmm. are we happy as a team um are we creating things with integrity if we are and are our customers mm. happy are we showcasing those values to others for me mm. that's meaningful work like um yeah, things, things may take longer. Like I've never had investment or capital raising. And even though that was a big part of my job as a startup lawyer was mm. working in that kind of field, um, I didn't want anyone to answer to. I wanted mm. to be able to have creative expression myself. And I wanted to learn how to create things on a shoestring mm. budget. I wanted to learn that. And that for me, that was the driving force was I can easily spend money. Like that's really easy. And mm-hmm. I, I, I know where to do that, but how can I create wealth and how can I use that appropriately? Because that's the hard thing is mm-hmm. creating something from scratch with a very low budget. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that was really a perfect, 
some summation of this uh, conversation, Upma. Th thank you, thank you so much for being part of Thanks this. So I, I know. I really appreciate you sharing these stories as well. Yeah, and no, I, I, I know how busy you are, and I really appreciate the time that you've taken. <laughs> Okay, thanks, Rahul. Okay, thank you. Until until you're in Melbourne and we can meet in person over yeah, a time. Yeah, I don't know yeah. when that's going to happen. <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay, take care. Thanks, Rahul. Bye.